Welcome, welcome. This is the Simply King Podcast, and this is your boy Rodney Perry King himself. And you have just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being human. This is Simply King, and I am back with a great, special, fun one right now. A great conversation. The world has changed. The world has now been renewed, restored, because why? Beyonce is talking to us. She's giving us something. You know what I'm saying? And when anytime Beyonce speaks to the, you know, to the to the common people, it makes the days brighter, you know? Um, just about, well, I believe, what about uh about two weeks ago, she dropped a very monumental historical documentary which wasn't which really was kind of a, a concert documentary about her Coachella excuse me <clears throat> Beachella performance and in it what touched me the most other than just the performance itself and the highlighting and the whole theme of it being about black universities within the United of States but it was her affinity for it. It wasn't just something that she liked. It wasn't like just something that she just seen and something she just need to, you know, big up and be like, hey, we need to show them more love. No, I wish I would have went, she says. I wish I could have been there. So I had to bring on someone who not only had the credentials to sit, talk about the HBCU experience and what it really is, because it's oddly enough, still this kind of like, that's a phrase the HBCU experience is a phrase. So I had to bring my brother on fellow alum of the illustrious Clark Atlanta university, the illustrious, the illustrious. You see what I'm saying? I have Justin to it here on the program. How you feeling, bro? I'm doing amazing. Greetings and salutations guests. Oh yes, oh yes. You, you. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming you study uh, mass media arts, right? Oh yes, I definitely got my degree in communications with a minor in sociology from the illustrious Clarkland University. It's lit. Graduating from May 2018. Amen. Praise it's God. lit. It's lit. It's lit. And that's that fresh outness, boy. Woo. Oh, it's, it's real. <laughs> it's real. It's real. I, I'm, I'm, I'm perfecting this, uh, this, this blog post called the Post Grad Blues right now. That um. I believe will help a lot of people just because it's like, that's a real thing that I feel like people don't talk about enough. Like that six months, that year out, like you go through a lot, your mind, your soul, your just everything kind of just goes through a lot. And I've seen examples of it with literally every type of individual who's graduated from people who come out with a job, people who still trying to figure it out. People it's, it's like this thing still comes over you um, at some point in time. But I digress. Did you watch Homecoming on Netflix, bro? Yes, I watched Homecoming on Netflix, but I'm going to take it a step farther. I was up at 3.32 in the morning <laughs> <laughs> last year streaming YouTube on the good 55-inch television mm. to watch this performance. Yes. Um, I'm going to start by saying phenomenal, phenomenal performance, phenomenal show. Uh, well, we're going to get into that. Yeah. It, it, was yeah. An, it was an amazing experience just to be, not even to, I'm jealous of those who were there to be in, in the glow, in mm -hmm. the glory, but I still was able to, you know, touch the hem of the garments, just being able to watch it on the YouTubes. Oh, yes. 
Oh, yes. Um, I was blessed. I was blessed as well to be able to be up, have the bandwidth to allow myself to be up. Um, the bandwidth in both ways, in mind and Internet. Because um, uh, it was late. It was late as hell. But I, oddly enough, I think, you know, that feeling that my girl, she talks about all the time. She was like, when you go to a Beyonce performance, like your, your life just changes. And um, for me, I think because it was so like I definitely think I was rejuvenated in the sense of like I feel like I need to watch this and like finish this you know and I'm not no no like card holding beehive or nothing but I'm definitely a person who appreciates you know a great fucking show and um and and just I didn't know that I really in initially when it came out and it was a band and all that I I ain't gonna stunt I didn't think she was gonna make the whole thing about like around HBCUs, I might be the only one who might have thought about it like that. But it, I think it's because I don't, you know, I'm not. I've never been to a B a B concert. I don't know. I, I'm thinking like this is just an aspect. This is just an intro. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. She's so, not gonna just, stay right here. You know what I'm saying? But the fact that she kept it in this pocket, she kept it with these vibes, gave you these these kind of you know show band renditions. It was like oh. She about to do this the whole show. Okay. I'm in. I'm plugged. So I'm going to say this. Um, I am. I don't want to call myself a, a stand. I am a card holding beehive. Only because, <laughs> I, <laughs> beehive member only because I am a stand not for Beyonce, but for her work ethic and her creativity as a creative myself, as a former performer. I was astonished. I was I was super excited. Once I saw the band, I knew that was going to be the whole show. Only because Beyonce Giselle Giselle knows Carter is a storyteller from mm. beginning to end, mm. and no matter what, and that's from albums to movies to concepts. Whatever she's going to do, she's going to make sure she tells you a story. It's going to be compelling. It's yeah. Draw you in. And yeah. It's going to be complete. Yes. It's going to be a complete story. So once I saw the band, one, the first thing that popped into my head was as a former band geek uh, coming from the number one high school in all of America, Stevenson High School, home of the Mighty Marching Jaguars, uh, understanding this was like the biggest dream of any band geek. Every band nerd, every band member who's been at a, in a big black band has always hoped some big performer is going to bring a band and do a full concert because we play all your music already. Mm-hmm. And, she, and she brought it and it was even within within the confines of the documentary, she said something about, "I don't want just to hear the track. I need you guys to hear the claps, the oohs, the the fanfares, because that is the experience that you're feeling on stage. And being in the band, you understand. Yeah, y'all get the music, but we get the stand feeling. That's why people sit around the band mm-hmm. during the stands. But I'm a yeah. So I was excited to see that one, two. Um, I I want to start this off by coining a term. We use the term HBCU, Historically Black College and Universities, um, which is amazing. It's been used. Everyone knows what it is. I want to take it a step further and uh, coin the term Billy or Bili, however you want to say it, Black Ivy League Institution, because that's mm. exactly what we are. Go ahead. Um, I mean, if you look at the, the conceptions of both both types of institutions they're both the same they're privately uh ran organiza- uh institutions true for an elite group of citizens to bring higher education and they both uh all both groups garnish a certain level of status or awareness based off the name of the school true 
only thing that separates us is that we as a people don't value HBCs in the way that we value Ivy League institutions. Very true. And and good good thing to point out because from a population standpoint, they're all very similar mm-hmm. to like you talking about three thousand, you talking about two thousand, you talking like you ain't talking about much. You ain't talking about a large amount of population but it it has grown because of the resources you know what i'm saying from Mm -hmm. being able to really grow out their uh you know grad school programs or doctoral programs they can have like fuck ton of people um because like (laughs) harvard is large and all these other ones are you know pretty pretty vast but still very have those small traditional liberal arts vibes and feels um but I, i but Let's let's jump into something that I think, you know, it's pivotal about it, because I think I love that she kept it very genuine. I love mm-hmm. I love and I think it's something that we as consumers, as well as creators, say all the time when people do something that has a vastness to it, that has mm-hmm. an abundance of information that goes along with it. So. You can fuck this up. You see what I'm saying? Like, you can (laughs) really do this wrong. Like, you can, (laughs) like, and I think anytime there's something that's being, and that's most things, there's, unless you are coming up with a whole brand new idea, you know what I'm saying? You are literally making Star Wars or Avengers. Then there needs to be checks and balance. You need to know what you're doing, what you're saying, how you're presenting these things are the way that they should be presented if you want to say that this is what you're doing. You see what I'm saying? And I think I love and I seen it and I felt it and I was glad that she documented it to show us that she very well you know reveres HBCUs but on top of that she did her due diligence to literally go and make sure she is collecting all of the HBCU uh, band members, uh, HBCU majorettes, having them she teach. Her her, she doing. She did her fucking research. You on know what I'm saying? And because you know there are people who do research on accident or yes, half-ass research. Like, yes, oh, we gonna pull from here and pull, and we're it's a liberal telling of. Nah, she was like, I'm gonna. I believe me personally. Well, one, I believe this show speaks to W.E.B. Du Bois's idea of duality, and that yes. is Beyonce's uh, physical manifestation of that in the way that, for a long time, we questioned Beyonce's blackness. Let's be very real. Yeah, the world did. The world did. I'm not going to lie. I did, too, mm-hmm. up until I am. Uh, I am. And then, slowly but surely, really, Lemonade, uh, 444, her, uh, her input with that, and then the Carter album, and then this really kind of, pull back the curtains of this is what I've been showing you on the commercial side because I needed to get to this certain level. Yeah. Now this is blackness and the um, immensity of blackness that is encompassed within me but then also that is encompassed surrounding me yes. that I can give you the true version of it's duality. Um, secondly, I feel like we, well I, I will speak for myself because I can only speak for myself. Um, I feel like she had an opportunity to not only to this the show homecoming was for her coming back from her pregnancy mm-hmm. great we love it this was also an opportunity for her to put other people in place to shine yes yes and she was so gracious about that yes and i think there's something about 
there's really something about the symbol of it all because she mm-hmm. really touched and reached out to people, a plethora of so many different people who were from so many different schools from, you know, people who, you know, more, you know, who marched and played for, you know, fam, youth, but don't all of these, like when she's you've seen the list of schools, you know, from Southern and all these different things. It's like, she did not hold back in spreading the wealth like literally spreading the wealth because i can only imagine you know how that has propelled a lot of those people and it it doesn't even matter what the fuck you do next you have reached a height that no one else can say they've ever reached and it's been documented to you know to the fullest degree that you've been a part of this performance where you directly were highlighted um and i and i think all in all the the whole putting together of it, you know, and the very, the humbling of it, the humbling parts of Homecoming, the documentary kind of, it was real, real deep. It was hella deep to see somebody like Beyonce, who people see as this vast, because to me, when you, when, to me, the fact that she didn't give us her blackness early on in her career, it makes you seem inhuman almost, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like you're a character. And I think, it's a beautiful thing to see her and live in her blackness because it's kind of like, damn, it, it humanizes her to the highest level. You see what I'm saying? Because in my head, I always believed that if you, if quote unquote, black people were the first humans to walk this earth, the blacker you are, the more human you are. That's so, true. so I, so I love that she, you know, was touched by this, felt this, and all of this. So I, I brought up the whole thing about being true to, you know, quote unquote. HBCU culture, because I think it's has a million misconceptions. And I think these misconceptions or these displays of what they believe it to be are usually driven by what people have seen on TV and film. Right. So definitely I would love for us to, you know, quickly kind of rank out, you know, with really just a very ambiguous thumbs up, thumbs down on where you believe this thing, this very popular uh, depiction of. HBCU-ness ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, well, better yet, let's do it out of 10. Let's do it. Let's okay. do it out of 10. Yeah, I like I, I like rankings. Let's do it out of 10. So, let's go ahead and get the, the big one out the way. Different world. What would you rank that as? As in a, tr- a, as in a true depiction of what this is. Like, did this feel like what you experienced? I'm going to give it a at 8.5 mm-hmm. only because and not even only because it was a great show it was a great um, marketing tool for hbcus for the time yes the only reason i'm giving it an 8.5 is because of the shortness of the longevity and it gave you the the, the, the mm, okay now i gotta think about these okay mm-hmm. um <laughs> i mean i'm stick with 8.5 it was a great show but there were so many other nuances that weren't taught, touched on or it didn't really show that still impact HBCUs yes. that or HBCU life experience, whatever you want to call it. Yes. Um, that it could have went farther. But understanding the network that they were on. Cool. NBC cut them as soon as they did ran the uh, Ronnie King uh, shooting. Exactly. So. Which which is which is fucked up um, <laughs> as hell. <laughs> but I, 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 I um. I give it a nine for similar reasons to you. I believe it uh, It almost makes the mark to be perfect, but I think 
there are very subtle, there are subtle trees that are within it that I believe can be captured on screen. Um, for instance, I do believe there is something about the nature of, you know, uh, kind of showing, showing the dynamics of, you know, truly what the struggles of all these different aspects are going through. I think, you know, we seen we seen struggles and whatever we seen. Um, I forgot Miss Lady. I forgot Miss Lady's name, the character. We seen her, you know, you know, working in the kitchen and doing uh, this. And, yeah, like we, we seen that, you know, we seen it. But I think there were there are certain different there are different type of life struggles and different types of like financial troubles that I believe not only the students deal with, but also the institution itself has dealt with that I believe has plagued HBCUs from a branding perspective. And I think mm-hmm. being able to highlight those things as well. And have and, a real realism of it. And have a realism of it because I think that's what can truly push people, you know, to it. Because I think people were drawn to, you know, certain aspects of it that were all the glitz and the glamour of it. I think that's what made more and more people want to go. It's because it was the glitz and the glamour. It just looks good. You see, you, I, I want to be like different world. I want to, you right. know, have this and that, that, have this and have that. But I think they got a lot of things right. And I think that's why it's so high in ranking for me because, you know, from it comes to the separation of the dorms and things being traditional and, you know, mm-hmm. and the RAs and um, having like a soulful ass, you know, dude in the cafeteria. Like, <laughs> it was like very small things sometimes that was like, okay, I feel this, I feel that. The teachers are black, the teachers are like hella serious and well, you know, well established. It's been a lot of great alumni who, you know, came here and went through here and, people giving back and like, you know, it was cool aspects within that. And I appreciate that a lot. Now, next one would be school days, which was shot on the campus of Clark Lane University and Morehouse College and Morehouse College. So this is the tea I'm going to give you all about school days. And this is came from the direct mouth of Dr. Herbert Ackelberger, the mentor to Spike Lee. Um, for, For those of you who don't know, the eight school days was geared out to shoot at Clark Lane University. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be his senior thesis. Uh, it got cleared up until 10 days before they were supposed to start shooting. Someone in the provost's office was basically demanded to see the final script. And Spike was like, I'm not releasing the final script because he uh, was afraid of scrutiny. Because, you know, he was really talking about some HBCU shit. Yeah. And, you know, we like to fight the funk and act like we're, we are prestigious, but we like to act extra bougie for no reason. Yeah. Um, so once that he's decided I'm not going to release it, Clark was like, well, you can't shoot on our campus. That's when the majority of the film was shot at Morehouse. There are some scenes that were shot at Clark, uh, and most of those are guerrilla shoots from what I've heard, but that is the T. Now, when it comes to school days and ranking, I, as a, as a Spike Lee joint aficionado, a cinephile, a mentee of the Mr. Lee in my head, at least. I have to rank that a 10. Mm. Now, not even to, the, uh, to I guess, but to add to what you were saying earlier, there are some nuances that also could have been more real in that movie, but for yeah. what it was in the time and for the picture that it painted, HBCU students, HBCU experiences, um, that movie is really the reason why I decided to go to Clark mm. and really prefer, pursue an HBCU. And then on top of that was a different world. So it was like, cool, this is 
the the aura of what I'm going to get and the realness of it at a, um, at school days mm-hmm. in the most theatrical way possible. Yes. And then we get a different world. Okay, cool. This is the most idealistic situation. Even within my struggles, this is the most idealistic situation of an HBCU that I as- strive to be at, if that makes sense. Yes. And I agree with you like 100%. And I'll add to that by saying I, I say that this definitely is ranked a 10. And for the nuanced things that were the heaviest things, you see what I'm saying? Like I feel like right. those were actual scenes. They just weren't alluded to. Mm-hmm. The fact that those were things that were written about is what makes it brings it over so, to the top to be a perfect mm-hmm. depiction and being, you know, one of the few real, true, I feel like a hundred percent depictions. Um, but I believe because why this man did he was Lily went to an HBCU. A lot of people featured within it went to HBCU. So I feel like his consultation and his checks and balances were already embedded within the whole creation. And the the, the nuance of going to what was I believe it was KFC in the scene with Samuel L. Jackson and mm-hmm. the and the, and the quote unquote locals mm-hmm. in the quote unquote locals. And I believe that right there was a very, very pivotal scene that I believe people need to understand, need to grasp when it comes to the HBCU experience. Is that regardless of, you know, you trying to make better of yourself, you doing this, that, and the third, you still are in this bubble. You still are in this microcosm. You believe that there is someone that thinks they're better than you while someone's looking at you thinking the same thing about you. And I think it was perfect. I think that scene was the way that it needs to be. And then also the very heavy, uh, the heavy handedness when it comes to Greek life. Mm-hmm. I think the way they handled that was perfect because it was like, this is how it is. Like you can't. And, and I think they gave us that inside look into it. But in reality, that is always a wave. That's always this energy. This always this kind of ever, ever present thing that you need to, you know, be aware of. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you just, oh, you want to go to that? Are you sure you want to go to that event? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to. If that's, you know, make sure you look at the flyer. You know what I'm saying? It, it's that vibe. And I think featuring that, having a terrible football team, those aspects... <laughs> for me made it a hundred percent made it perfect it made it mm, mwah, you know what i'm saying then we have and this will be the last one we can move on stomp the yard now i thought about doing drumline but i was like nah because i feel like that i mean because drumline was less about hbc it was more, but it was more so like bam yeah like, yeah and i think bang. and i think but i think i thought about it was like but this one is more about like greek life and everything but i feel like what else can we do? Like, cause I feel that we could have talked about the quad, which was I would see that as a two. So yeah, I, 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 you know, you know what? For the sake of the conversation, let's talk about the quad because which, I which do have at Morehouse. I have qualms with the quad. You feel me? I have many qualms with the quad, and um, but but I'll let you go first. So I feel like okay. So for ranking, I will put it at. Between a two and a three. Okay. Only because it was shot well, for the most part. Mm-hmm. For, the, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt like they tried to hit on the nuances that we're speaking on. Yeah. But they did it in a way that BET is still bought out. I mean, it's still owned by Viacom, so we cannot make white people too uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And we really can't pull the full lid 
because pulling the full one of the things about being a writer, one of the things about being a creative and a storyteller is having to tell the authentic truth whether or not it makes people uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel like BET was not the medium for us to for them to be able to tell the unadulterated, unapologetic truth about all of the things that they were trying to talk about within HBCU culture and what it did subsequently was hurt or paint us in a, I won't say in a fully negative, but it casted a, a, a pretty damning shadow more than it shined a light. Yes. For me, <laughs> for me, <laughs> I was, I was, I was done. I think after episode two, I believe I watched it. Uh, my ranking of it truly is a two. Reason why it's a two is because Terrell was in it. I think Alvin was <laughs> featured in it. That's two people I know for sure that I knew who were in it. And I watched his support because I was like, you know, and I was glad to see he got so much. Both of them got a little bit of, you know, a great amount of camera time. But in the first episode, I was already out. They already, they already lost me real quick. And I'm going to tell you exactly why. Because there was a specific scene. It's cool understand for people who are listening who may have never went to an hbcu there are people outside of you know the race of blackness who are attend hbcus this does happen how it common does. it is how common it is is we're talking about maybe two maybe one to two percent of the population at a lot of these schools well, I don't know because I don't know because Clark Land had a very large Saudi Arabian uh, yeah. population. Yeah, but when you put it in the numbers, <laughs> when you put it in the numbers, <laughs> when you're talking about three thousand and then you're talking about fifty, you know what I'm saying? So, but I digress. Yeah, but I say I say there was a specific scene. I think it was I don't know if it was Jasmine Guy was in this or not, but um, it was a professor. And it was a classroom scene, and they gave you a shot of the of the students. And I counted, I think, two white students, an Asian student, like what? Yes. <laughs> an Asian student. And then the rest of the class was black and you know came in a variety of complexions. And for me, that didn't seem too real because for me if we're talking about black schools we're talking about the black college experience i know we know we know that the there is an anomaly called a white person who went to an hbcu yes we know that happens is that story important is that mm. story vital is that story one that we should tell i personally don't believe so i personally believe that that Story will take away so much of the historical equity that you could be portraying on screen because you have someone who's dealing with who's dealing with new barriers that they've never dealt with. You see what I'm saying? Like you had this quarterback character, you had this just random white girl who befriended, I believe, the uh, the um, the president's daughter or whatever. It's like, mm -hmm. no, why? <laughs> why do we care? Like, because why do we care? In order for us to be valid, that we have to include, and that's and that's what I didn't like. That's what I didn't like. I did not like that. I did not like that. I did not like the heavy handedness of Hazen um, being shown within it. Um, 
I think you can show that, but I think it's a certain way you got to show that. Um, and also, I did not like how fucking dramatic it felt for me. Like, it just felt very, like, in the first episode, we talking about somebody done, somebody done died. Like, I'm like, somebody getting <laughs> shot. You got the the president fucking around with the grad school dude who transfer, who really stalking her. You got people stealing money. You got somebody getting beat to death. It's like, what the hell? Like, whoa, whoa. Like, where's the chicken? Like, where is it Wednesday? <laughs> like, is it Friday? Can we get some fish? Like, let's slow this on down. Like, let's down, build this man. up. I feel like you could have given that drama eventually. But I think to throw it all into the first episode, and then, yeah, then you had the, the, the president's daughter getting drunk, passed out. Like, it was like every single character had this real strong issue. You know what I'm saying? Uh, this real strong thing that started it out. And it's like, this ain't scandal. This ain't how to get away with murder. This is the quad. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I think expectations are already very low. Because build, build this up. You know what I'm saying? Build this up. This is on B E T. You know what I'm saying? Build this up. Let's let's slow this shit down. Let's not try to rush this. Let's do what we gotta do. You know what I'm saying? But I believe because of depictions like this, it's created a lot of misconceptions. I believe it created a lot of misconceptions on what people believe about HBCUs. And I literally was having a conversation with a good friend of mine, and um she was uh shocked. When um when I told her when like when she like sent me something about Morehouse or something it was like something that like a headline or something, and um she was uh, saying to me she was like I thought all HBCUs were started by black people. <laughs> I thought that was why they were HBCUs. Like I thought they were founded by black people, and I was like no nah, no nah, not all of them. It's a few. Oh, you know what I'm saying? It's a few. One of the one of the most popular ones, you know, is I think I believe I think I heard something about them coming back. Morris Brown, I think they, um, they uh, there is a revitalization process. That yeah, I'm actually I'm excited about that only because I have seen the AUC take them under more more often. Well, not more often in a way that we should have already been doing. Yeah. But I'm glad that it's happening now. Yeah, like I, 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 that, that never, that never sat well with me when I was there, especially once you, you know, you meet people and you attend that fucking homecoming that they be having. It's like, oh, y'all they- got the spirit. <laughs> y'all got the spirit. You know what I'm saying? Um, but like, for a lot of people who don't know, and what I had to break it down to her, she, because she really didn't know this. I was like, understand that there were a lot of white people. Uh-huh. philanthropists, people with money who started these schools. You got to think about it. Institutions of learning are still places of business. And on top uh-huh. of that, places of business, you are talking about post-slavery. So that means you have literally millions and millions and millions of black people who have some type of skills. Some of them maybe can, but also have the aptitude to learn new things. How can I drive my industry? How can I drive what I do to a high degree so I can create and invest into some type of institution that literally can create the workforce that I need. This was these things, but also there were very, you know, in, um, very philanthropic reasons as well, just to <laughs> be like these, you know, these Negroes should be educated. They haven't been able to read. They should deserve to get an education. 
all of these things were amalgamation of a lot of different reasons were the reasons for a lot of this. Like I get, I broke it down to her about like how Spelman was started by like some you know some Rockefellers and they they never gonna they, go down. They, they still own the Rockefeller. That is my that is actually my go to reference. Spelman is owned by Rockefeller. Yeah, three buildings with their names on it. Yeah, three like she she buildings. she was like she was like for real. I was like dead ass. Like <laughs> that grass paid for. You know what I'm saying? Them gates. That's pay why they don't for. cut. That's why they don't cut corners. They don't <laughs> cut corners. They don't cut corners. You ain't gonna ever hear no financial scandal out of that over there. You are not. You are not. You know what I'm saying? You are not. But um, but I I would like to talk about misconceptions like tell me because that's my biggest misconception i believe but i want to know one from you what is a misconception that you've heard from when it comes to going you know being what an hbcu is and all of those different things well i guess one of one of the ones that i guess gets on my nerves the most Mm -hmm. has been this idea that any large group of black people turning up is an HBCU experience. Ooh, Justin, you shaking the table right now. <laughs> I'm feeling my table shake. <laughs> Only, oh, right, so shit. I was, I, was on, I was on the Twitters right after, you know, the Beyonce drop, you know? Oh, yes. And somebody from University of Memphis decided mm. to tweet out and was like, U of M, we should uh, go ahead and make U of M a, a HBCU. Our According to them, their student body population is majority black. Oh, that's, I didn't know that. It's not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> now, in the same way that we were talking earlier about um, just because you decided to go to a PWI and only hang out with black people does not make that experience an HBC. More, same, more, I had the more same about that later. I'm with you. More about that later. Mm-hmm. I, I have that same quorum with people who consider Georgia State an HBCU or part of the AUC. And you, oh. you got to check them real. Georgia State University is not a part of the Atlanta University consortium. Oh, yeah, that's that's pretty far away too. Y'all scattered out. I don't even know where y'all campus y'all begins don't have a campus. and where it ends. NDRE, I don't know where. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so this Georgia idea State. that <laughs> so yeah, this idea that uh, if you got a lot of black people, black scholars in a room, uh, and we turn up. It's an HBCU. The reality of it is, and this is more to it later, what makes the HBCU isn't just the students, but mm-hmm. it's the faculty and staff. Yeah. Because if my faculty and staff isn't looking out for the upbringing and the well-being of the student body, it is one thing to have. Can I say nigga on this podcast? Yes, you can. Okay. Very much It is so. one thing to have a bunch of niggas in one location mm-hmm. and say, oh, this is an HBCU. If by that logic, Slavery was a black industry. Yep. We had a bunch of niggas working. Yeah. Very productive. Very. Built the whole country. You know what I'm saying? Out here. So this idea that it's it's more it's more than just people in community, not even community, people in group is born the people in community. It's really about what you're building out of that community. What's being sustained out of that community that builds an HBCU. Yes. Um, that's boy (laughs) i'm with you i'm with you i I have no i have no disagreements to that and only thing i would add is just that understand if that i don't want you ever to say something like that and then turn around and be like i don't care to go to your school well why do you care to say that this is 
what this is now. Like, those are the things that always puzzle me. It's like, you know, we might as we kind of we might as well be an HBCU. Not saying we are, but we might as well. And it's like you didn't choose to go to one. If I if I say to you that, you know, well, y'all not. You might get an attitude with me. It's like I don't even care. That's why I ain't go because y'all ain't. But but you want. But you say we might as well be. Well be, which means you, you have a, a a desire somewhere. In your there's heart. some. There's something there. You know what I'm saying. There's something that you're feeling on this side. You know what I'm saying. I understand. I get you. I get it. You know. <laughs> um. But I do think one misconception and that I think is interesting that I believe uh people need to grasp the reasoning behind it. And the reason why I say it's a misconception, that being the whole financial aspect when it comes to institutions, is -hmm. because I do believe that the way that it's publicized is never fucking good. I feel like the PR around when black institutions are going through whatever financial hardships they go through, it never feels good to me from a PR perspective. It never feels... it. For one, it makes... Because for one, it's hard to gain sympathy when you're talking about an institution. Right. Because you're talking about there's been thousands and thousands of people who have came in and out of this institution who have literally gained degrees, who have garnered wealth, have started companies, have literally done all the things they've went out to do. But you can't keep your doors open. You know what? I think them joints need to close. That's what a lot of people perceive. A lot of these press releases in public, like when Bennett College went through this um, Mm -hmm. not too long ago, people were upset. People were in an uproar because I think they eventually got the money, but they got the money late. You Mm -hmm. see what I'm saying? And it's kind of like, but the thing about it, they started that campaign out, you know, outwardly, that outward campaign very late in the game. And, um, I think the sad part about it is that the misconception is that, you know, well, y'all don't have enough resources and, and this, that, and the third. Well, the difference is, is that we are a private institution. So that's every school. Every school has to pay for everything when you're a private institution. So understand that there's not. We don't benefit from your endowments. We don't benefit from. We, <laughs> with we don't. That, and ha- not even, and not even so much because, and not to cut you off. No, go but, ahead. Um, when, when and I had to, I had to explain that to my mom, because um, she wanted me. She did not want me to go to Clark. I'm not gonna lie to you. My mother did not want me to go to Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and she went to Florida Memorial. Mm. <laughs> Florida Memorial. <laughs> um, Look at that, mom. Are we not missing from the the inherent government uh, subsidies, but our football teams don't get the endowment because we are competing against all these D1 schools. Who get top athletes because they're gar- they're not guaranteed but encouraged uh, NFL track NBA track yeah um, we so we're competing with all these these other outside aspects that are outside of our control but some of them are inside of our control I'm not gonna act like we're perfect there's some things administratively that we as an institution we as a people we as a culture need to change in order to be able to compete economically with an ever changing uh, world but that's our responsibility as young enough young alumni. Yes, I'm gonna get off my. I'm gonna get off that soapbox and get back on the regular one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, we like there are inherent disadvantages yes. that the outside world doesn't ever get to see. Yes. 
Um, yeah, ima imagine being a black individual and the hurdles and the obstacles you had to deal with and then being a black institution. Imagine that. Imagine, imagine. It's imagine. still a black business. It's still it's a still black a business. Black. And black businesses all over the world still to this day have hardships and troubles. And understand, understand, understand that I that there has to be a concerted effort. Why would, why would, why would it be in anybody's best interest to supporting all black school or majority black school or whatever you want to call your black school with the resources that it needs to propel their students to the highest degree. And I still will say, I, I still will say that HBCUs still to this day graduate the most, you know, yes, doctors, do. PhDs to, you know, dentists, lawyers, so on and so on and so forth. Even with the mass amount of black people who go and attend PWIs, which in all honesty, and that's and the thing about that that I want people to really be real about is if it came, if money was not the issue, if free education was everywhere, including in HBCUs, would you still choose to go there? Would you? And I feel like a lot of people would change that mind on that. You see what I'm saying? Um, I just don't see, think they want to the be. Opposite. You think you think they'll stay still go there? Only because we, the people in this country, has have been conditioned to think white proximity makes it right. So my proximity to whiteness will make me more valuable, and I've seen that in in so many different instances. So fair, we, that's fair. And and not to say that they, there wouldn't be a, a greater influx, but I oh, yeah. still feel like there will be people to be like, no, I'm not going to go there because. XYZ, y'all don't have funding or or not even so much funding. It's people gonna find a reason. People will always find a reason. We we've been brainwashed through this country long enough for people yeah. to just have no reason to find a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. But I think um the interesting thing to me that it's forever a debate when it comes to, you know, the black college experience. And I remember I did a uh I was a part of a um a case study group. Um, when I was in school about, you know, how we feel about the question of the necessity of HBCUs to this day, because they feel that they are this archaic, antiquated idea um, that in times of segregation, in times of, you know, Jim Crow, um, Reconstruction, so on and so forth, that they had a purpose. Their purpose is now filled. They've educated all these people now. All the doors of any door of an you know higher education for higher learning is open to uh, to obviously those who qualify, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> and so you don't have to have like this only black school. You see what I'm saying? And I personally, and it comes from not only a bias standpoint but also a, a standpoint of where I believe the necessity is extremely, extremely vital, especially into the days that we live in right now. And I just really, really believe that they are not only needed, but they have to be here. Like they oh, yeah, have definitely. they have to be here. And I really want people to understand that, like, you can truly sit here and have whatever opinion you want to have about where you want to go and what you believe to be this real world uh, experience and all that shit. But 
they have to be here. But I would love to know what is your take on when when it comes to that question, are HBCUs still necessary? Well, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw a tweet the other day, and I reposted it. Um, the The synopsis of it was someone discouraged me about going to HBCUs, and the response was, I have the rest of my life to live in oppression. Let me go ahead and live, uh, enjoy what my ancestors built for me. The reality mm. of the fact is mm. this this community was built not only just for uh, knowledge of self. I mean, not even just for education, but a community for knowledge of self. It was built to be able to have a safe space to not only explore myself in an academic forum, Mm -hmm. but then also be able to be around other people who look like me, but then aren't exactly like me. Because... Well, people, one of the things that we didn't talk about the HBCUs, what makes HBCUs different um, is the, the vast diversity of black people. We yes. are all, all not the same. We, we all come in different shapes, sizes, cultural uh, difference. I'm Caribbean, so I'm, I can't even consider, well, I do, but I can't even be like I'm completely African-American because I have an entire Caribbean background that influences my outlook on life. Yep. And to be able to be that Caribbean uh, voice for my at my uh, American friends, but then also have a frame of reference through my African friends who I had African royal friends who literally were African royalty. Their father was the president of some. To be able to be in that, you're not going to get that anywhere else. Mm-hmm. And then having uh, knowledge of self is more empowering than to be able to say, "Oh yeah, I went to this Ivy League institution. They gave me all this white knowledge." about everything else that I'm probably still not going to be able to use because they're still not teaching me how to file my taxes. They're still not teaching me about mm-hmm. my mortgage. They're still not teaching me about credit. They're still not, like, these are still things that aren't being taught, but then I'm paying if the same, if not more, to get what? A name. You're saying something right now, bro. And you, you said something that's very vital. That tweet is real. The diaspora portion of it is extremely real because I think you know going back to WB Du Bois you know not only just having a sense of double consciousness but it's like you can do both like you we can. are we the we are the we are have the for, we have the fortunate opportunity to be able to now to have choices to literally have a choice in the matter of which black school are we going to go to and then we could further education somewhere else. You know, it's like, and I think that's the thing that, you know, is a true, beautiful thing to people to understand is that you have literal historical, historical sociologist, brilliant man who literally, that was the idea. That was his game plan. That's what he did. It's like, get you, get all you need for you. Get all the things that can make you feel good, that can fill you up, that can make you all about who you are and the human that you came into this world to be. And then you go sharpen the skill that you've chosen. Now that you have gotten this out the way, it's clear your path, your your the pathway to what your passion can be is a lot clearer when you don't have to worry about people thinking about your skin every day. You know, I think that's a vital, vital thing that everyone needs. That's a vital thing that I believe everyone should feel. I see it all the time when I talk to people here in Chicago. 
it's a lot of people who went to HBCUs in Chicago, but also it's a lot of people who are from like, you know, rural parts of Illinois, rural parts of, you know, the Midwest. And they are so intrigued when I tell them I went to an HBCU. I'm talking about they get they get the eyes get big. They want to hear stories. They can't believe shit. They heard they got a cousin of so who done went to such and such and said this and that. And the third happened. I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty common. That's, thing. Real. <laughs> that's a real thing. That's something that happens. And they, they cannot believe it. You know what I'm saying? And I tell them all the time. And like, I, I literally pump up. I pump up the women who we went to school with. I pump up the experiences by saying like, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's better. It's probably better for sure. And it was like, bro, you you bullshit. I'm like, no. Nah. <laughs> when you go to an HBCU, and especially if you go to one that is extremely popular, mine is one being that was very popular, established themselves to have a very diverse group of people, a lot of swaths of individuals from all over the country. So you're talking about you're getting a, a great sample of women, a great sample of men from every corner of this nation. And I told him, I was like, I was like, I was, I was great at admissions and recruiting because I, I could flex on all the shits. You know what I'm saying? Like what you're talking about when you're talking about, you know, if you just coming for the degree and that's what's gonna get you here, cool. If you are, you know, a mannish little boy and these girls gonna get you here, cool. Because when cool. you get here, you gonna work. You know, up. Oh, sorry, it's a trap. It's school. Who knew it's that you cool. would come here and do some work? But <laughs> I would, get, I would always break it down to him like, you know, it was twenty seven to one. You know, and you're talking about it's people all over. But the thing about it was that so many men that came after me, I think the one thing that I love that so many of them went away with is that they got this certain instillment of understanding. You know, it's like there's more than just, you know, one type of black. There's more than just one type of, you know, a mindset. There's so many different types of people and we are all here and it's a lot easier to see who you are, where you stand within that gradient of blackness, when you can stand you by other examples. all these mm. other examples. You see what I'm saying? When you can, mm-hmm. when you, cause it's hard, it's hard. You, cause you, people sit here and they assume, I know so many people who have grown up in these certain very all white spaces and they are questioning all about their blackness because they're allowing those people to tell them how black they are, or how black they're not. When in actuality, it's like, you don't need you, that's not where you need to be. That's not where you need to have these conversations. And sad part about it, you probably don't even need to have those conversations with, with other black with people, those people in the same spaces. Like you guys need to take yourselves out, get somewhere else, get some variety, get some diversity of thinking with blackness about your life. You know what I'm saying? Like mix it up, change it up, switch it up. Mix it all in, you know what I'm saying? But I (laughs) like you got to do something. But I think like there is a level of disrespect that I believe HBCUs get because of you know them being attached to blackness. So I think it's inherent in America. If it's black, it's whack type bullshit. Because we see this. I know you've seen this whole story with you know with the Howard and what Howard's going through with a grass and how and it's oh those students are better than me. I'm I'm gonna keep it a hundred a whole buck. Yeah, I would be snitching. I would be snitching. I would be, <laughs> be calling public safety. Like, oh look. yeah, I'm I'm back. Hey, so we have a trespasser on a. I get nervous. So for those of you in Atlanta who don't know, Atlanta is being currently being gentrified. Very much so. Um, at one point there was there was this older, two older white ladies who used to run through campus, with uh, a double stroller and a dog. Yeah, I, I remember that. And at that. one point, 
at one point I, I had to, you know, because I'm bold in my blackness. I had to stop. I was like, hey, are you lost? You know, you, you sure you want to be over here? Yeah, we just spotted. Oh, okay. You know, Georgia Tech's down the street, you know, you, safe spaces, you know, you, we don't want to scare you. And they, they laughed it off, but I was serious. Like, man, this is not a place for you to just be running through here because you think this is a cute little, this is the part of your two-mile jog for the day. Yeah, because to me, I think about it like this. I'm glad you said that because when I used to see that white woman, I definitely got a little nervous because I don't want this to be no issue. I don't want this to be no problem. All types of, like, you you run, you. it might be a literal fucking stroll off in the middle of the damn promenade and your ass coming through with this damn cart running not think thinking just people just in the way just dancing or something you trying to swerve behind them and you get your baby kicked in the face i don't need those problems we don't need those issues we don't need that type of heat at our school because we can i can only imagine how it could be blown out of proportion they were they were flailing their bodies around and hitting each other and 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 doing all types of uh, i don't know i'm like see this is why you can't be over here you know what i'm saying because you make you making this shit sound like we you're over making here doing, shit hot. you're making it sound strange you know what i'm saying you're making it sound yep. very strange and for the the people who are part of these communities who are adjacent to because the thing about it is like it's just like everything else when it comes to gentrification nobody you did not want to live next to an hbcu none of them none of them now that these neighborhoods and these communities around hbcus are being gentrified now you want to move over there now you want to come over there and this house house is being built in the bluff right along for some folks you know what i'm saying and i think the thing that trips me the hell out is that i don't know how these institutions are going to deal with um that shift and change because since the beginning you know, since the beginning of a lot of the establishment of these institutions, the communities around them have been very, very black. And I don't know what that looks like in the future to have a predominantly white institution. And we've had examples. There is examples. There's a HBCU that was uh, founded, um, I believe, in uh, West Virginia that literally has been turned around from a population, uh, from a race population standpoint from being an HBC it's historically black college same reasons it was started for black students way back when but because of the GI bill of you know one of those world wars essentially all of these white people who are from this part of West Virginia came back home and they wanted to go to fucking school and it was getting paid for by the government so where did they go they went to this HBCU and now it's literally changed from decades and decades and decades of students from that local community essentially going to this school. And now it literally is around like, I think around 80, like 70 to 80 percent white. But it's That's an scary. HBCU. That's and I scary. think it's like, fuck, like this ain't cool. Like this ain't nice. This ain't good. Like and I, I think people who might misunderstand is because they don't. They haven't experienced the HBCU experience. They don't understand why this is vital, why this is what you need. Because to me, when you go to a PWI, you try to create your own safe space. Yeah, be real mm -hmm. with me. You know what I'm saying? You trying, you're trying to create space. And not only that, 
They do that for you sometimes. I got into a heated argument with the same friend that I talked about uh, with the whole Spellman fun facts. And I, she had asked me, she had said to me, she was like, Rodney, since you went, started going to a black school, you've gotten like hella militant. And I was like, for sure. I'm proud of it. <laughs> it's a lot of shit that I ain't know that I'm now mad about. But in addition to that, uh, she was like, she was like, what, she was like, what do you, she was like, do you think you could have went to, you know, to UT Knox or UT this and that or, you know, whatever, whatever. I was like, honestly, nah, I'm glad I made the choice I made. And I, I, I truly believe that because I don't want to go to a school where I feel like they have to accommodate me. I want to, I'm choosing to go to the school because I believe I fit in the school. Not one to where you have to literally create a multicultural student union for me. One where you have to create and have a black student union, a black, uh, what is it, uh, be a black student association, a NAACP chapter. You have to have all of these various things to make me what? Feel comfortable getting my education in this institution. While, having, I, pay while I pay you for that comfortability. Having a... And, and every school, every PWI, there's always this kind of sense of like, this is where the black people usually live. This is the black dorm. These, This is the black cafeterias. You might have five cafeterias, but this is the one the black people usually go to. This is the black library or study areas. This is the black student union. We have seven student unions, but this is the one for you guys. You know, conveniently located on our uh, Martin Luther King Boulevard. On <laughs> West Campus, away from everybody West else. Cam- on West Campus, <laughs> away from us. And I think that, to me, is creepy. And I don't get it. And it makes me feel all type of ways. But I would love to know, like, I have an example. I would love to get your take on this. is an old example, but I believe this to me, was the all the proof I needed that HBCUs are necessary. Do you remember back several years ago when there was a hunger strike done by a gentleman uh, who attended uh, Missouri University? Vaguely, yes. Well, essentially what occurred was there was just mishaps with uh, and just a lot of different disagreeing going on when it came to the when it came to literally race relations at Mizzou. And the Mizzou community, literally, there are black students within this, you know, rural part of Missouri who are literally being harassed by individuals who were of the community. Locals were literally harassing them and they thought they they were literally fearing for their lives and they wanted the, you know, wanted the college to do something about it. They essentially called out the president, calling him a racist, all these different things. The football team actually banded with this gentleman and was like, we not even going to play. And this is what essentially kind of moved the chains, moved a lot of different things around. Um, And then everything else started to kind of fall apart. You find out that, you know, that the SGA need to be impeached because they're supporting these kind of, you know, very racist uh, policies and things like that. It was so many different things that were going on. It was a lot of moving parts. And in my head, I'm thinking you wouldn't have to deal with none of this shit if you was over here. In case of facts, you wouldn't have to deal with none of this. It's a black neighborhood that you in. So if they bother you, they probably bother you for reasons way beyond race (laughs) you know beggars it could be anything you know what i'm saying but stay safe be safe though be smart be safe be safe and that's with anywhere you are but 
the fact that you are dealing with your, the questioning of your president being racist, the questioning of all the, the students who have power to be supporting this racism as well in some way, shape or form, that literally someone literally is starving themselves to death to make a point was all I really needed to know. But I, what do you think about that? Like, So, I mean, I guess that confirms my first point earlier when I was saying that it's not about the student population, but it's about the faculty and staff. And yes. my administration doesn't reflect my ideals or my my upbringing, my, my you feel me? If, yeah. if the people in charge of me and in charge of making sure I do what I do is what I do isn't in line with what we're trying to do, then there's, there's no way that what I'm trying to do is going to be done to its best ability. Because <sighs> your interests aren't my interests. No, your not. interests are all right, we have X amount of bodies and we're getting X amount of tuition to operate on X amount of, uh, on this level of capacity. We get you in, we got you in. If you graduate, you graduate. We want you to graduate for, for more endowment, but you're here for money. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's something that they don't, they probably talk about amongst each other, but when it comes to that whole argument or the, that debate, it's kind of like you, you, you throw away. I know you have thought about the, you just a number, you just a quota type of thing. But when we talking about it, you know, when you're trying to defend it, that ain't something that ever crosses your mind. You know what I'm saying? When that right. is a thing, that is something they thought about. When you check that box, that is something that's going on. And we see it now with Ivy Leagues. I literally seen a whole special on Vice about it. It was kids who... There's literally kids, there's literally a group of Asian students who are protesting and literally trying to sue Harvard and, and sue all these different Ivy League schools because they believe that, that they are being discriminated against because they, they, they say they, they have the credentials. We are, we are very you know, well qualified, but why aren't we getting into these schools? Why aren't we getting these scholarships? What's going on? If you're black or if you're if you're this or you're that, you have a better chance. <laughs> and, I, and what's funny, what fun, what's funny to me is that whole lawsuit coupled with the what, what was her like Abby Miller, I guess. Yes, I remember. Yes. So Abby Miller's lawsuit coupled with the now college admission scandal. Boy. So I'm like boy. all these all these things. And I'm like, oh, well, I would say HBCU. Yeah. The only thing I got to worry about is if we're going to have space in our dorms for next year. That's it. And that's a silly <laughs> ass problem, but I'd rather have that than be pissed that somebody is out here, you know, you know, perpetrating the fraud. You know what I'm saying? Fraud. For real. Fraud uh, for real. <laughs> fraud for real. You know, but let, last two things we can we can close out, but I would love to. I would love for us to give before we give our best memories. I would love for us to first give one great suggestion that we believe either our alma mater or every HBCU could, you know, I guess, implement or do that could truly make the experience better for their students or whatever that is. Whatever it is that you believe that is, let me know. So I guess I have two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to speak specifically. Well, I'm going to speak ho- holistically. I'm going to speak specifically. Holistically, mm-hmm. HBCUs need to hire their alumni. Mm. 
stop get and it's nothing against tenure professors we love them they have definitely paved the way but at this point in the game in a digital round a digital society and uh, ever-changing economy it is time for you guys to step up and stop living in this antiquated uh not even so much antiquated but living in tradition and being comfortable in tradition Mm -hmm. and just hold upholding tradition instead of uh leaning on tradition to start more tradition or building off tradition hire your young alumni hire younger alumni not so much i'm not saying straight out the gate i just graduated hire me but there are some late 20 early 30s uh 30 year old early 40 year old urban professionals who are have started to make a name in their uh respective fields who have the resources the connections that will benefit and literally propel us to where we're not competing, uh, not even so much competing, but dealing with a lot of the, our shortcomings mm-hmm. because of lack of resources, lack of uh, accessibility, all these things, hire younger folks. And it's going to translate in the way that your admissions go because we're losing students left and right. If you hire younger teachers, hire younger professors, hire younger administrators, there's new thoughts, new way of thinking. They can connect more it will literally propel your institution into the 22nd century. Mm. That's how I feel about that on a holistic level. Specifically, the AUC... Well, no, I'm talking about Clark. I can't talk about Morehouse and Stomach. Yeah, y'all, is, that is, y'all is y'all. Y'all is y'all. We, we is love we. y'all. We, right, is we, we love y'all from across the gate. Yeah. Um, Clark Atlanta University, specifically, I believe we need to... We need to separate the School of Arts and Sciences and invest heavily within our arts department. Mm. Um, as a student, as an alumni of the Mass Media Arts Department, um, we have the name recognition and the the clout that's been residual from our past work. But I feel like the institution is not investing in the way it should be in the, our arts department because B-School brings a lot of money directly. Mm-hmm. School of education brings a lot of money uh, directly, especially in the grad school level. Mm-hmm. Uh, socio- social work and sociology brings a lot of money in, especially on the grad school level. It makes no sense for us to be this prestigious HBCU for, uh, that has this amazing program for digital entertainment. And we're not a powerhouse in Atlanta as a production house. Word. We have so many alum that come out of Clark. And go into the industry. Kenya Burris was my graduation uh, commencement speaker, and he gave a million dollars yep. to the school. Yep. There's no reason why Kenya Burris isn't just, hey, this is not a million dollars. Hey, I'm going to use the uh, CAU production house to shoot my next three films. Yeah. And I'm just going to hire students. Yeah. Because I know they're trained. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's way to generate income just in past asking for money. Mm. Like once we get out of that mindset and really quantify our quality, quantify our worth in a way that we're able to tangibly touch what we what we're worth, then we'll be able to propel where we're not competing against Morehouse and Spellman, but we're competing against SCAT. We're competing against NYU Tisch. We're competing against Columbia. Yeah. All these schools who are actually making a name for themselves. Ooh. That's how I feel about Clark. Ooh. Love my institution. I love y'all to death. I love, I love it to, to stars and back. But I feel like we gotta we gotta grow. Yes, I agree. I agree. My mine is kind of over, uh, kind of overcompensating. I guess you could say is 
a holistic as well as a specific one. I believe because I, I imagine that every school has this because um, you mentioned the B school. And one thing I would like to say is that there needs to be that definitely needs to be a, a an overhaul of um, of mentality when it comes to the training and the and the readiness of training up these black students within these black institutions. What I mean by that is there cannot be this sense of what you are and how you present yourself as this black individual is not what they want. That that whole energy, that mindset, that mentality, all of that must not be a part of an HBCU anymore. That, to me, is not only antiquated, but it's destructive to who we are within our development. It, you should not. You should respect, respectability you should. complex. Yes, we are only we're only fueling that. Like why? Like it to me, it literally spits in the face of why this institution is here. Why are we here if we are literally training ourselves to be better for them, to be the what they want us to be, to get into to literally teaching us to play the game instead of make the game. Instead of create our own table and bring all the people we know there, it must be more of that going on than anything else. That is what the that's what the first tone of your breath should have. It should never Mm -hmm. be. Well, you might have some issues because, you know, they don't want this. Or if you want a job in this, you kind of got to do this. How about this? How about we train people up? We give them the skills. We make the connections that we have and we empower them. We must empower them because me being a person with with long locks, going to HBCU, majoring in and going to through the business department. Certainly, I certainly heard from my own people like, you know, this hair thing might be a thing that holds you back. I certainly felt the energy of. Yes, we want, you know, if you if you had this this entrepreneurial aspect of you, you wanted to be a boss. If you wanted to be your own CEO, it was kind of like, I don't really know what to tell you about that. Right. I know how to get you a job. I know how to get you to this point. I don't know how to make you this. And I think that is an issue. That is a problem. That is something that you cannot have because I know for a fact there are certainly people within the staff when I was there. I'm not sure how it is now who are who were self-made, who were. So that's what made it strange to me is that you're telling me to go corporate. You left and started your own and either started your own or you went back to teach. You all of my professors tell the same story. I went and I studied here. I worked for Procter and Gamble for 10 years. I worked for this as a consultant in this consulting firm for however long I made this. I did that. I made a lot of money, had some children, but I worked my ass off. I was tired as hell. I was this and that. It was not the life of me. So I said to myself, what can I do? I will go back to school and then teach. Literally, like all of them, literally, all of them tell me about the horror story of like how corporate America is something that they could not continue to do. And you're trying to tell me this is something I should start. 
I feel like that's generational though. I feel like it certainly is. The 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 old and that the older generation has been taught the only way to learn is to struggle and this is my struggle, so this is a struggle you should be looking out for. Yeah. And we are like, Well, if that is the struggle that you went through, why would I purposely put myself in the position to do the same thing yes. that you just taught me not to do? Yes. And 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 to add to that, the uh, with that destructive mentality there also needs to be a checks and balances when it comes to the treatment of students while they are there oh yeah definitely don't treat me like a child I'm a and i think and i think this can be policed there's examples of you know that we have with the you know the pre-alumni council i do believe the pre-alumni council should be empowered a little bit more to become that checks and balances for administrators for faculty and staff, for when they are misusing that power, when they are, because I believe that it has to be on that level. It has to be understood. This is a relationship. We are not children that you are just going to make do whatever you want to be done. And we just need to go with whatever needs to happen. We're grown. We're paying for this. We're paying for this. <laughs> so we so no, there's not just this policy that's going to go through that's literally destructive and puts the brunt and the weight on us because the fact of the matter is is that we're the ones who have to deal with this you don't and then also you want me to get through this stick by just stand by and just struggle through it and and then and then come back and give you some money (laughs) that's the thing that i believe has to change that's that's the energy that has to change and i believe that's something that i believe you literally directly see examples of Lily across the street. I know yes. so many Spelmanites, and I know you know a lot as well, especially being mm-hmm. a man from Georgia. You know what I'm saying? Who living in Georgia still? This is a beautiful example of yes, they have their own negatives. You know, muff babies don't even be having no air conditioning in some of them dorms. That's a, <laughs> that's that's criminal. That's Guantanamo type <laughs> shit. But what are they getting that makes them? want to give back what they're getting now is empowerment is a lot of empowerment they're definitely getting this sense of sisterhood within so they're going to see each other in a certain way and they are sharpening the shit out of each other almost Mm -hmm. every woman i met there has studied abroad at least once Mm -hmm. every woman i met there has took up to the third level of a a different language I, I'll never forget. I was at it was Sierra. We both Sierra Shaw. Yes. Alumnus, yes. Alumnus of Spelman College. Sis. The Portuguese. Sis. <laughs> sis. That's sis. Yeah, I'm taking. Yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. I think I think a, a graduate of uh, CAU. I think she was taking Japanese at Spelman. <laughs> See. She had to go over there to get that. Pre- appreciate you. Shout out to Vernasia. You know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> But the thing, that's the thing. It's like, because, bro, you don't know how I felt when I moved to Chicago, joined the Alumni Association here, and the president at that time told me that in the nation, nationally, our numbers at from CAU were 500 people. Nationally registered, 500 what? people. The chapter... The alumni chapter of Spelman College in Chicago, Illinois, had around 500 members 
just in that chapter. And that told me everything I needed to know about how bad it is and how the school really is doing a terrible job at getting people to feel like they should be giving back. You see what I'm saying? And I think mm-hmm. the and then lastly, there also should be a way for people to be able to uh, which I think, you know, alumni associations do a good job at direct to have some more direct passageway into funding um, students. Um, I think that's something that should always be an option because that's still going to enrich the school as well. Even if they're not giving back the money directly to the institution for the institution to allocate in whatever way, there always should be some type of pause to clause situation at all these different HBCUs to where if I am a Kenya Barris and I meet a young Justin in a classroom or whatever, whatever, and I'm just doing a, you know, a lecture series, but y'all just didn't know everybody in the classroom, y'all going to get some money. You know what I'm saying? The balance is paid. Oh, there, wow. there, there should be there should be a process and a very easy, mm-hmm. streamlined process for there to like damn near on some, damn near on some like uh no nah, I went no nah, that's 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 a bad analogy I was about to say you know how to you could like sponsor a kid from Africa that's bad <laughs> that's so bad but truly but truly a system where truly a system where you can give to someone who is damn near just like you I think that from a marketing perspective, is a way better goal. This person is from Georgia. This person's studying the same thing you're studying. Damn, y'all kind of look alike. Want to give this person some money directly? The pre-alumni council could do something, you know, have a connection with that as well. That's just an idea. Whoever's going to hear that, take that where you weigh. You know, I got got them all day. Got a lot of ideas. But anywho. It's a bug. (laughs) You know, it is what it is. But let's close it out with good things, memories, right? Give me your best, best memory. And it could be a memory that you believe that can only happen in the HBCU or only happen in no place in the world, and that being Clark Atlanta. But that's all on you. I'm not going to, you know, direct your choice. <laughs> okay. I actually want you to go first. Cause I okay. That. I can. I can. Um, for me, for me, I think the best experience the best experience for me was experiencing something that i found out wasn't just experience of mine that experience being when you first get to cau and you i I genuinely thought this was something that my class just did and we was originals and that was us going out to the promenade well, before cl- it was a week before classes started going through orientation and it's just everybody out there ain't shit to be out there doing. We just out there and it's deep. I'm talking about everybody. It's literally it might we might if we had cars, this is this would be bike week. This would be a literal baby homecoming. Like it's like all like all the dorms fled out and we're just on the promenade. All these students, all young all from all these different places don't nobody know nobody and everybody's friendly everybody's open because it's like fuck we don't know nobody you don't know nobody let's walk around and meet some people let's vibe let's get the energy let's see what it is and i think that right there warmed my heart so damn much and let me know man i'm in the right place 
and I can't wait for three more years of this. <laughs> I genuinely, it warmed me up. It made me feel so good and so full and so like ready for the experience and to talk to other people to then for the upperclassmen to come um, that days later and to talk to them about, man, we it was live. What we did just the other time, whatever, whatever, whatever. They was like, oh yeah, we did the same thing. It was, I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't, it didn't even minimize that experience. It just made me feel even better. Like, fuck, we wasn't even instructed to do this. This wasn't something, something that, that, this is something that just happens and everybody happens to do it too. And I just love that. Cause it's like, this is what this is for. This is what this is about. Like for us to have these joined experiences, these very similar experiences, because these are the things that naturally come to us. Us literally wanting the fellowship, us literally wanting to congregate amongst each other on the promenade because it's just there to be congregated and, and, and gather around on. You know what I'm saying? Like, damn, it's here for us to befriend and, and find mentors and find mentees and get them swipes. This is what we do. We don't have to tell you to do it. We don't have to give you an instruction manual of how to be a, you know, a, a a panther, but this is what you do. And I can only imagine that. I bet it's like that at every other institution. I think that's just something that you just can't get everywhere. Like, I feel like you got to get instructed to do all these other things. But this is just the the organic blackness is just oof. It's oof. oof. I need that on a t-shirt, organic blackness. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm working on t-shirts. I'm right down with Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, while you was talking, I thought of two. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one I'm gonna say was Snowpocalypse 2014 yeah. when <laughs> when all of Atlanta was shut down and That's we had funny. that massive uh, snowball fight mm-hmm. at good old Mother Morehouse. Ooh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. I missed that one. <laughs> Glad I uh, did. <laughs> nah, that was that was a, a sight to behold, to be seen. But then also for me, at least. I feel like I was one of the few people who actually kept the myth of the sacred grass as, as sacred. Yes. So graduation day, I instructed my entire family and any friends. I was like, hey, graduation is going to be chaotic. Don't try to find me at the gate. Just meet me at the sacred grass. I made my, my final march up the promenade after graduation, diploma in hand, just walk across stage, emotions everywhere. Yeah. First thing I did was took my shoes off at, right at the bust of W.E.B. Du Bois. At that fountain, and I walked across the sacred grass up to uh, Harkness, not Harkness Hall, up to Trevor Arnett, mm-hmm. and I just had a moment because mm. that was the solidification of I am now an alum yeah. of this great institution. Yeah, some traditions just good. I feel you on some, that one. Some traditions are just good. Some traditions are good. I feel you on that one. I ain't even gonna fight that one. That's that was real. That's something I, you know, that was something I did as well, and I, I think that was just beautiful but i'm i mean i think oh you know there's no debate no more you know what i'm saying we don't got to say nothing else for anybody who listening who got to sit here and think like you know well i mean i still think my experience wouldn't you know it it, you know what it was good bro it because you're getting your education you know what i'm saying you're getting your education i appreciate you you know what i'm saying but trust me do not be looking for the q chicken you know what I'm saying when you when you go into your little uh, <laughs> HBC, your, your, excuse me, your, your PWI, PWI. going to your we we might as well be going to your might as well be. 
Don't be, or don't get be you mad. some unseasoned. Yeah, fried don't be mad. You it's gonna cool. get baked chicken Tuesdays. It's cool if y'all got a y'all regulated to a corner of the of the tailgate in the parking lot of the large stadium that's funded by Peyton Manning and all these different things. Like it, it's cool. That's beautiful. Y'all got resources. Look at them resources over there. Look at them. Look at them resources. I, and I'm a, I'm gonna say this: if you have something to say. Don't pull up to our homecoming. Yes. Don't come. Don't come. Because we ain't it's got okay. resources. We over here not living in the real world. You we know? living in a different one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we going to keep, you know, just blackening it up, surfing, you know. That's what Swagging. we do. That's what y'all, that's all we got to do to be HBCU. So we're going to do HBCU things. And that's, you know, we're going to be a little ass and eat a little chicken and you know what I'm saying? Have some financial trouble and just do our thing. You know what I'm saying? Just eating on the same piece of cute chicken, drinking on the same little piece of Hennessy. And we're going to just have us a good merry time and not watch football. It's, you don't want to come. You don't. You ain't, that ain't nothing you really want for real. You know what I'm saying? That ain't, that ain't nothing you want. But. I'm done. I'm done playing with these people. I really, really <laughs> thank you. Really, really thank you. This is uh, it's been a dope conversation. Definitely gonna bring you back just to you know to talk again about something else. But this is perfect. This is like exactly what I wanted. Exactly what I feel like needed to happen. Need to be spoken about. I love giving any type of appreciation to my alma mater to HBCUs as a whole because I believe it's something that needs to happen. And I know I know anyone who's listened to the show knows that I. Always, always, always rep and definitely love to bring on people who came from my alma mater. But that should tell you something. That's something Greatness comes out of CAU. I'm just saying, like, I ain't reaching. I ain't got to reach <laughs> far. You know what I'm saying? I'm just bringing folks on and they're giving you the, the love. You know? So, um, I thank you, bro. Um, definitely. I want to thank you for having me out here. Oh, yes, yes. Give everybody anything that you're working on, how to follow you, how to support you, how to do anything with you, please. So, you can follow me on the black Twitter at L Incognito. That is mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. Spanish E L I N C. Mm, stop. I just I didn't stop myself. L E L C. Ooh. Let me Take start that over. <laughs> My Instagram is L Captain Awesome. Spanish L Captain Awesome. E L C A P T A I N S O M. No last E. My Twitter is L Incognito. E L I N C O N G. N I G R O. Okay. We we just, we just gonna ignore the Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna put it. I'm gonna put it in the description too. Mm-hmm. Um. Find me in the credits of your favorite TV movie. If you have any, uh, you know, I'm your favorite PA, your favorite production coordinator. Uh, just find me in your favorite fi- favorite film. Uh, currently working on anything? You know, I'm always writing. Uh, I'm right currently. I'm writing a an adaptation to one of my favorite '80s films that I feel like should have been black in the first place. Oh, we gotta talk, talk about, about that. that. I want to hear about that. Mm. Um. So yeah, other than that, support support black filmmakers, support black creatives. Um, I oh I did want to say this. So we've been talking about uh, Beyonce's Homecoming, mm-hmm. great show, but Donald Glover's uh, Couch Gambino's Coachella show comes in a very close second. Oh, I have not seen it. 
comes in a very close second. And okay, so this is this is why I first off I believe that Donald Glover is Beyonce's secret little brother because mm. they do a lot of things alike. Because mm. she dropped, she did Homecoming, went silent. She dropped the movie, dropped the album, released two songs for real, for real, but not really. Um, and then announced the the sneaker drop. Yeah, Donald dropped dropped did the concert. Did Guava dropped Island? Dropped the movie Guava Island, which was amazing. And then he dropped the sneaker. And then on top of dropping the sneaker, dropped five shorts that gave Monique a Netflix money check without Netflix. Mm. And then if you really look at it from a media sense, uh, Lemonade. Oh, not to mention she brought back Lemonade. Lemonade's back on Billboard. Homecoming live album's back on Billboard, which I wanted to talk about also. I feel like Beyonce has now revitalized the idea and the quality of the live album. We lost the the uniqueness of the live album. I always believe that Beyonce wrote her, uh, has wrote, written all of her albums for live performances. Mm-hmm. She gives you the bass line, and then yep. everything in her concerts is the, the antithesis, whatever the word is, uh, of what that could be. She brought with this with this album. She's bringing. She's going to bring back the smoke to bring more artists to step their game up to to produce a great live album. I feel that. Um. So that album is going to be up for a Grammy. Lemonade's probably going to be back up for a Grammy. Whatever uh, soundtrack Donald decides to pull up for a Grammy, and then they're both on Lion King. That both comes out today. I mean, not today, but comes out this year. So that's an uh, Oscar. Mm, you, make it, you, got a, you got a good theory going on. You're right. Donald Glover, he, just, he, got, he got B on Guava speed now. You feel me? Like Donald, uh, Guava Island might be an Oscar for, it's technically a feature because it's over 45 minutes. Uh, this Homecoming might be an Oscar because it's a documentary. Like we, there's money to be made out here. Yeah. Jay dropping yeah, he doing. He did got the B sides. You can see that on title, which is, which is live. It's live so, music. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited for the evolution, and and it's not even so much the evolution. I'm excited for the 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 mandate of true artistry coming out of mainstream artists. Yes. At this point in time, you can't bullshit for real, for real anymore. We had an era of bullshit. Where it was like, oh yeah, put on a catchy song, throw a meme up, do, get known on Instagram, you're good. Yeah. The real artists are coming back and like, y'all, y'all, y'all fucking the game up. Y'all, y'all thought. Y'all thought. 2019, 2020 is about to be something real, real. Mm. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love the energy. I love it. Um, and that that that's that's real though. The Donald Glover thing is real. Donald is a lot. He's a lot in a good way. Um, hailing from the great city of Stone Mountain, <laughs> <laughs> Good, had, had to say that, right? You know, I had to put that in there. You know, I ain't mad at you, but no. Um, if you don't know now, you know you can definitely listen to the Simply King podcast everywhere podcasts are available. Being Spotify, being Apple Podcasts, being Google Play, uh, go and subscribe make sure you not only subscribe but leave a review make sure you share that thing with your favorite cousin your sister nephew nieces and mama and them please do i appreciate you 
uh, when you do. Um, and I would love to, you know, read them aloud over the show as well. So um, thank you guys for listening. This is the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans, Simply Being Humans. I'm Rodney Perry, also known as King. And this is Simply King. Peace.